great to see you in the real. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's been a couple of years, yeah. so nice so, to be back again. So over those years, what's happening in China and VR has gotten more and more opaque. Uh, sort of. To yeah. us over here. Ah, uh -huh. Right, to, to the, you know, nobody in the XR press yeah. is writing about China. Yes. Sure. But uh, I think it's a bigger market than the United States. Last time I checked, you had uh, four times as many people there. <laughs> uh, that's, and it's, uh, although last year was the first year the population in China actually reduced uh, in like the last 50 years. Right, but so. you guys did that to yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but getting back, back to the topic, tell, tell me what your view is post-pandemic of the market in China. How is it developing? Who are the dominant players aside from HTC? Um, yeah, well, I think the last few years, a uh, couple years has been really uh, kind of important in terms of changing the, the, the path for, for XR in China. Um, and I think even more so now towards the, the B2B side of it. Uh, although the last, I think, six months uh, after the Pico acquisition, uh, there's been some more transition now to re regrow the consumer side. Uh, and they're, they're kind of following the footsteps of um, uh, Facebook and, and trying to go very heavy consumer uh, and subsidizing hardware. So, uh, you mean subsidizing software for their hardware? Something like that. So I think they're, they're following the same, uh, uh, I guess, playbook. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think that the, the, the market the last month or so actually has taken a little bit of a, of a nosedive because of all of the, the lockdowns. Right. So people couldn't ship anything out to anything. Right? All, right. The, all the logistics were down and all of the warehouses were closed. So, but uh, I think uh, the, second, the next month or so, things are, should be starting to open back up again. So I think second half, uh, we're going to have a, a good recovery. But the, the second quarter has been a bad quarter for uh, the for. I guess the industry in general. What so. what is bigger in China for HTC enterprise or consumer? Uh, enterprise for sure. Yeah, yeah. we're probably eighty percent B two B. So um, you know, and and it's been that way for the last three plus years. So are consumers buying headsets in China? Just other ones? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think some of the lower end products are 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 doing decently in the consumer space, um, but you know. They're just, I think there just aren't um, as much content there. So I think content has consistently been the, the barrier. Um, you know, the, the local developers, most of them are still doing B2B um, software because that's right, where the money, money today. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but I think, I think you know, with uh, ByteDance, they're, they're, you know, investing more in that space and they're, they're trying to push that market. So I think, you know, it will... Uh, it will definitely increase in the next couple of years. So, yeah. so does HTC have plans for the consumer market, or is it like sort of the U.S. where you're just fishing where the fish are right now? No, no. I mean, we. I think you know we've always had a foot in the consumer space, particularly in China, because you know that's kind of our home market. Uh, and now with the whole Viber story, uh, I don't know if you, you, you kind of heard what we've been talking about in uh, MWC. We announced this concept of a, of a kind of a metaverse world or a platform that um, allows anybody to join. is a free open space and a lot of it is WebXR based. So WebXR, the beauty of it is it so works any browser, any browser, visit. any device. Uh, we, you know, we have full avatar systems that, you know, lets people come 
customized. You, anybody can access it. Uh, we even now are coming out very soon with development tools. So uh, anybody can have a, a world that they can then create and invite their friends to. So is it sort of an open sandbox social space like VR chat and all space? Yeah, or? exactly. Um, but even, even easier because right. uh, it's just instant click and you're there. And you can send that world to anybody and they just need a link and they're there. You know? So you can just sign on as a guest or you can link it to your MetaMask uh, you know, uh, ID. Or, so it, 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 it links to transaction capability. So I remember the other day you were asking about uh, some Web3 transactional capabilities. So we actually link directly to your MetaMask wallet. So yeah. if you had products that you were trying to sell mm -hmm. in there, uh, it's like an instant click and buy. And we'll, we'll we put that functionality in the in the system as well. So I know you're interested in in an open metaverse mm -hmm. and, and web XR yeah. based um, XR applications, um, which is sort of very Web three. Is yeah. that the way we're going to get to an open metaverse? Is through protocols rather than a change in practice by the uh, consolidators? Um, well, I, I mean, I, I don't think it has to be Web three. Right, because I, I think the current Web3 story is really about decentralization and then a lot of it about crypto. Um, I think there's a, a, a very non-crypto aspect of it that can make it open as well. I mean, just like you know what uh, Rick Tello mentioned today in terms of the, the openness and, and the Ori as well. So I think that's where things are going to head to. The, yeah. just like so the, the just question is, is the openness a result of a, a blockchain-based approach, which is Web3, uh -huh. or, or is it... Uh, just based on changing the way we currently behave on the internet. Yeah, I, I think it's about changing the way and it's about changing some, uh, creating more standardization uh, and allowing people to gather in a, a common, have a common understanding in terms of how to create that, that portability and interoperability. Just like the internet, I mean, there's a lot of standard protocols that people are using it and, you know, even though... Uh, none of them are, are really fully decentralized because there's still, you know, like a DNS server somewhere. And, you know, but but the, the having a common protocol is, I think, the key. Um, and in China, it will be very centralized because it's the government's going to centralize it. Uh, but it's still do you, do you interoperable. Do the Chinese metaverse would ever be connected with a Western metaverse? Um, absolutely. I, I think it's a matter of time. And, uh, you know, just like right now, the, the Chinese internet is mostly open to the rest of the world. But there's going to be a, por a portion of it that's closed down. Right? And so it's, it's really analogous to the, the, the same growth model is that, um, you know, they will take some time to understand kind of how this impacts it and they will kind of be a little more conservative in the beginning. But over time, they, they will allow their citizens to be able to go to outside um, metaverse properties or worlds. Right? So I, I don't know if you saw one of my... Um, slides from a, a few months ago in terms of there's going to be three phases of, of development of the metaverse going from kind of the current multiple wall gardens that nobody yeah. talks to each other yeah. to a regional wall garden where you might have a European region, a, a China region, a you know Asian region or whatever, or US region. Um, and then at the end, there'll be little, very small regional uh, kind of universes and then one big open interoperable universe. All right, so... Um, it's it's going to happen over a ten probably ten year period, so it's not going to be right away. Yeah. But uh, it will definitely happen. What what do you think the impact will be of Apple finally entering the market after sort of hanging over this rumor hanging over the industry for the last five years? Well, it's still a rumor. I mean, because <laughs> the announcement hasn't happened yet, so we'll we'll see. Uh, but you know, it sounds like it's getting more real, um, and I, I think it's a it's a welcome thing because Apple just has so much influence in, in the mindset of people. It will make it. 
uh, right. more, well, they, much more acceptable, right? In like terms, they, they can sell many more units. Yeah, they're going to sell more. Can ever sell for sure. Uh, they will sell more units. They will get consumer mindset, uh, and they will educate the world. And you know, it's a when the tide rises, everybody rises, right? So I think it, it's a it's a good thing when that happens. I don't know if it's actually going to happen on the timelines that some of the rumors are saying, but when it does, uh, I think well, it's a good it's thing. This year, or next year, yeah. At this point, I yeah. But I mean, even I mean, developers need to get something. I mean, they can't. Some anything, yeah. an emulator, anything. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, but they've been they've been doing the camera-based stuff for a while, so I think that's uh, kind yeah. of their way to soft sell the process. Um, but you know, when it sounds like the product's going to be a multi-thousand-dollar product, so it's not a it's sort of a developer version anyway. Yeah, so it's not really affordable for most folks right, or you know tech enthusiasts. But yeah. um, but I think I'll be in line right behind Scoble. <laughs> well, he's been talking about it for oh, five, six here. years. Oh, I teased he? him when I saw him. You're finally right. Uh, I don't know yet. Let's wait a wait a few weeks. Yeah. Uh, well, he said a broken clock is right twice a day, so his minute is coming up. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a positive. So, so you know, if and when it happens. Hmm. So, um, speaking of enterprise, mm -hmm. um, in the United States, enterprise. Um, you know, was stalled by the pandemic. I yeah. mean, there are some see what I see technology that did well, but in general, a lot of the big implementations take place uh, for frontline workers who have to be physically present. Um, and it seems to have kind of stalled out mm -hmm. enterprise growth in the U.S. You must have had a similar effect in China, yes? Um, not really. I mean, I think enterprise, uh, we're, we're seeing consistent growth. In fact, in China, um, just they just came you know, out. In the, in the U.S., the HoloLens business group is, is supposedly struggling. They've lost some people. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I guess there's some issues around Alex's leadership, potentially. And, yeah. and then, you know... Peggy left, and that was Peggy Johnson, who's now at Magic Leap. That yeah. was a bigger deal, I think, for them because uh, she was working with their sales and business development, and that seems to be an area of uh, emerging concern because the uptake of the HoloLens has just not been a barn burner. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's a it's still a not mature product. So the fact that you know they're already selling that type of units uh, at, at that price point, it's it's not a I, I, you know I'm I'm sure in their perspective it's not a great success, but it's it's a it's a good uh, proof of concept. So um, you know I, I think there there might be some some personnel issues over there. So I I, I, yeah, I can't well, really I mean, comment. I don't know either. So yeah. I just you know but but as a writer, you just get used to this sort of where there's smoke, there's fire. And yeah. it's not just one story, there's four or five. Uh -huh. So, you but, know, that's but, what but, you start yeah. to think. For, for us, though, I think enterprise actually hasn't really stalled. It's, it's yeah. We've been having consistent growth, consistent uh, interest. And in fact, uh, the, in China, they just had the 14th uh, five-year plan. And XR was mentioned specifically in that plan as something that the, the government wants to push as an initiative to digitize uh, more of the economy. Well, great, great topic. They were pushing in 2016. Mm -hmm. Um, and do you sense that that push has continued unabated or it's kind of going up and down a little? Uh, it kind of came down a little bit, I think, uh, you know, maybe in the last couple of years, but now it's actually starting to go back up again. Uh, it, I, I feel like that, the, and, and there's actually now multiple government groups looking to create, uh, you know, s standardization in, in the country uh, to make this a, 
it's potential strategic advantage in terms of productivity and efficiency and education and kind of helping it have a advantage in the marketplace in the global marketplace so I think it's, it's something that uh, is becoming increasingly important is training still the killer app do you think or are there other uses that for um, yeah for for b2b side training is probably more than half of our of our uh, unit sales so it's it's consistently important yeah uh, and you know training and education and but but you know b2b training has been uh, it's it's been a consistent use yeah, case I think that's been the winner here in the United States yeah also. but I think collaboration is going to become more important uh, and collaboration actually has much larger volumes because mm -hmm. training is usually you know one trainer will train a hundred people whereas collaboration everybody needs right. it uh, and uh, you know as as the devices get a little bit smaller uh, mm -hmm. I think with with the vibe flow type of devices mm -hmm. it's it, that changes people's mindset they're much more willing to use it now mm -hmm. uh, and the ease of use is there uh, you know I think after we make some more optimization of, 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 of compatibility usability of that product uh, it's going to uh, hit a different level and I know a few other companies are coming out with kind of the, the pancake thin lens products that will will really help that mark help this market I think in general yeah. Um, Alvin, great to see you. Thanks for sitting down with yeah, us. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Thanks. Thanks, Charlie. Uh, we're here with our friend Anne McKinnon. Um, it's great to see you in the real land. It's awesome to be here. Super exciting. There's a lot of inspiration. We're bringing a lot of music industry for the first time to a tech conference, including Betty Fink, Charlie's daughter, which has been great to have her on a panel. Uh, but yeah, I'm very lucky Charlie's invited me to speak about Wristband, which is my startup. I'm the co-founder and CEO. And Wristband is an experience platform where creators can hone their craft, meet their audiences, and monetize the Web3 and the ownership economy. So, well, there's a lot to unpack there. So uh, let's just start out with um, how it works, mm -hmm. right? How, how is this, the artists appear to us virtually? Yeah, so I guess first to visualize it, if anyone's played Grand Theft Auto or if they've been to their favorite citywide festival, you can think about Grand Theft Auto minus all the drugs, violence, and gangs. Yeah, <laughs> and then loads of creators taking place. And we look at creators not just as music artists. I think actually a virtual concert is one of the most challenging things to put into a metaverse platform because the same rituals and the same format doesn't work. There are two completely different mediums, the live and the virtual, and they require two different approaches. We're also looking at NFT artists and creators or visual interactive artists. So you have, you know, in Game Engine, you can do anything. So if you touch a wall in an audio visual and it has that interactivity, we're also looking at new ways where you can connect all this incredible content that's already happening in the real world and create a window into the metaverse. So for example, if you have uh, one of the venues that I love downtown LA is called The Shrine. And if you have a, um, a window of one of the walls, projecting a window from the metaverse, you can have this interaction between live attendees and the virtual attendees at the same time. And Charlie, you were at South by Southwest. Ted, were you at South by? Not this year. I've no, been many years in the past. This year was still pandemic. Yeah. So to give an example of what that looked like, we had a physical venue in Austin, and then we had a NFT gallery and experience within wristband. And we were thinking, how can we create something fun for the audience who is live, of course, they're going to a real event, but then also create an extension for people who cannot be there. So the live experience, they went to a theater, they had VR headsets on. It was just a demo, so it was about 15 uh, minutes total of go in, experience this immersive concert where it alternated the audience between reality and virtual reality and then augmented overlays. But then we thought, okay, well, that could be really tough or like maybe a bit boring to go and watch that happen in the virtual world so we actually took an unreleased track of the artist 
we hid it in the virtual world. We use pixel streaming, which means it's easy to access. So you can go onto a URL link, click on that, and then all of a sudden you arrive and respond in your avatar. You have a mission. You have 10 minutes to find this hidden track. If you find it and you share it on social media, the band manager will find it because of the hashtag, and they'll give you a code to download that track on Bandcamp. And because it's virtual, it's the only release in that space, you have something that no one else has in the real world, and it's a completely different experience. So I think this is a really exciting way to look at, you know, metaverse as an extension of the real life rather than as a replacement for it. So for those that are listening and trying to grasp when you talk about the nomenclature of wristband, mm -hmm. you're using that as sort of a moniker to define the kind of concert experience where you put on a physical wristband. In the virtual world, you're using that as a metaphor. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's something that all concert goers are familiar with. Right. You have understand what the, the, the ritual. And the different colors of a wristband can yeah. get you to different places exactly. in the venue. Exactly. So, South by Southwest, uh, let me describe for people who are listening and didn't have the privilege of being at South by Southwest what the experience was. The band is called Miro Shot, and they did this very special event at South by Southwest, which has never been done. We sat in, I don't know, a 50-person theater. 100-person theater. 100-person theater. Yeah. And Anne and her minions started coming out and passing out of the old Samsung gear headsets with some old, with, with some old yeah. $5 smartphone. In. <laughs> right, so they had to charge all these smartphones, put them in goes, uh, and... and um, or not goes the yeah. uh, gear, gear. put yeah. them in the gear, and then take them out to everybody in the audience one at a time. But wait, yeah. it gets better because <laughs> the music and the events or the effects in the headset are synced up. Yeah. And sometimes you are using the pass-through camera yeah. to see reality, and sometimes you're seeing a fully included VR experience, and sometimes you don't know. Whether it's we the see real people experience. taking their glasses on and off. Yeah, well, that was that's what I did. I was taking it on and off because am yeah. I seeing reality pass yeah. through this headset, yeah. or have they made me believe that what's on the stage is different than physical reality? So you were you were using very primitive technology from a couple of years ago, and today with what Meta has talked about publicly with their Cambria idea with super high res color cameras and a full all-in-one mixed reality device that isn't passed through like glasses. It's still a headset, but the idea of taking what you did yeah. with devices that are really hard to work with mm -hmm. and making something really kind of robust and that miraculous moment where, where am I watching this? Am I watching it in the metaverse, in reality, some hybrid between these kind of glasses? So if, if Muroshop was ever able to expand that into a 90-minute show, they, they should go in residence in some Broadway theater and charge people $1,000 for a ticket because they don't know, and here's the problem for Mirror Shot, of course, is that it's expensive to do that, right? I mean, of course, you, you've got uh, the CEO of Wristband and a bunch of other people. You can't take them on tour and do that all over the country. So that's why a residency would, would make more sense. And I do hope that, that Mirror Shot... I mean, that would be a gargantuan undertaking, right? Because so far it's kind of made by volunteers and kind of bespoke, patched together as a collective, but doing something that's an hour and a half would be substantial storytelling uh, work, and it would require dedicated artists to work on it. 
for I mean, some period we, of time. We have the luxury of working with some of the most talented artists who are up and coming and who are also the most open to experimental events. So for like, they like had the, not yet become fully mercenary. <laughs> yeah, not mercenary yet. But with, you make an interesting point with the, the headsets because like Samsung gave those to us years ago. We're very lucky, otherwise it is you know cost prohibitive. But also when you go to a concert, it's blurry, it's foggy, there's dry ice and smoke. So that kind of plays into it. It right. works. Kind of fine. Right. Exactly. Yeah, well, they had the room. The theater itself was a lot of red yeah, light. And yeah. lot, you know, it was a rock show. I mean, they had, yeah. there was a lot of stuff going on. Experience, exactly. And I think this is missing from a lot of metaverse platforms that exist right now. You go in, you arrive in world, you have no idea what you're supposed to do there's no monetization for creators it's ugly it's blocky it's clunky and this is a lot of the things that we're trying to solve so the idea that anyone can have a space and monetize their work reach their audiences even if no one's ever heard them before so so let's talk you mentioned web3 yeah. as an approach to doing this so you know to me web3 means you know disintermediating protocols <laughs> is that what you have well there's there's a, a sliding scale of centralized and decentralized with wristband, we're a game platform at the end of the day. So we need to have centralized mechanics. It won't work for us to sell our land or to sell different patches because then you're having this variety of experiences that doesn't feel cohesive. It's like Disneyland has a theme that you have an expectation of what you're going to experience. People go to have that ritual of going to have a great time, even though there are different experiences within there. And wristband needs to feel the same. You go in, you say, I'm going to wristband to have a great time, and I'm going to discover all these incredible experiences within it. So that requires a bit of control and centralization. But I think the ownership economy is where we're going to unlock this new era of, of experiences in Web3 and really allow creators to monetize their work. So for traditional industries, you might have a booking agent wants a booking fee to you know present their artists in your platform but if we're talking to web3 artists because they have ownership of their item or their art or their song they just want to be a part of it which is great so you have you're unlocking this potential of a new creative economy um, where are you with the development of wristband as a company um, have you gotten any financing what's where are you in this journey yeah it's been a wild journey. Um, I met my co-founder in 2017 when I was a journalist, and that's something actually Charlie was really inspired me at the beginning of my career. And um, we, I started to work for his label as a tech partnerships and consultant. And then in 2020, when we were invited to South by, the world was canceled. So my co-founder, his album tour was canceled. All the shows were canceled. So we thought, before we ever thought about trying to make a metaverse startup or platform, which is challenging, we thought, how can we use other platforms that already exist to create a compelling show that they can monetize and reach their audience and have these production channels and live events? And it was really fun and really, um, you know, we just, we tried to do loads of things that most of them didn't work, but we learned a lot along the way. We thought, okay, like, there's nothing out there for us. We should try and make something. We launched our company in September 2021, Wristband, officially, after about a year of R&D working with other platforms and doing our own experiments. Epic Games kind of heard about what we were doing. We got a mega grant in January of this year. We launched, uh, we hired our team, really talented group of small, uh, small group of developers, and we launched from six weeks to Alpha at South by Southwest to have pixel streaming, multiplayer, built all the infrastructure, built our first world, having uh, 81 NFT artists featured as well as the band featured within our virtual world. Super rare and rareable to the bigger NFT platforms shared open call for content. So we had thousands of artists actually like submit their works to be featured. This huge amount of demand. 
That is great. So you're going to come back on the podcast uh, in a few months and update us on your pro- yeah, on your progress. Nice yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One after the other. Well, it's thank you really to our community who's playing a role in encouraging us and inspiring us for what's next. All right. Thank you, Anne. <laughs> thank you, guys. I'm with my friend Brian from Qualcomm, who has a very interesting role that he plays at Qualcomm in the XR community as one of the, the voices and thought leaders and one of the driving forces uh, behind your efforts in XR, which are pretty uh, instrumental as it relates to the overall touchpoint. So these are our AWE mini-podcasts around uh, This Week in XR, mm-hmm. which will go on our weekly podcast broadcast and show up in other media places awesome. that Charlie Fink and I are doing. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing a few while Charlie is off doing a presentation. Um, and within you know just a few minutes, talk about uh, what you announced at uh, Augmented World Expo this week uh, up in Santa Clara, and some of your broader touch points around XR and what you're excited about, about spaces and you're, you're flying the colors of your t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. Just give me a sense of what's so going on. Sure, yeah. So thanks, Ted. My, uh, so my name's Brian. I, I, my role at Qualcomm is uh, I lead the Spaces team, so both the product and our efforts around uh, building developer ecosystem. And so we're really excited that this week at AWE, we announced the general availability of the Spaces developer kit. So Spaces is all about helping developers build applications for augmented reality glasses. And so we uh, today announced our collaboration with Lenovo and Motorola around a developer kit. So this is the hardware side of it. And then Qualcomm, of course, is enabling the ecosystem through SDKs for Spaces for Unity and for Unreal Engine. And uh, we announced this platform back in November at the previous AWE, um, and now we're actually bringing it out to everybody. We've been in kind of early access uh, since that time. So, so you, like a lot of other people that have shown up at AWE, have a belief that there is a future beyond the smartphone, right? The yes. smartphone has become a ubiquitous device, always on, always connected, in our pocket, in our hand device. But Qualcomm has a bet on the future, right? And now this future is not the faraway future. It's the fairly close to reality future, right? So maybe talk a little about that and what you've done this week with the announcing of the SDK isn't just for a few select developers, but for anybody that wants to pay, what, a couple thousand dollars and you're in, right? That's right, yeah. So um, I think, you know, we believe that that AR is evolving in a bunch of different ways. Obviously, you see devices that are standalone or all-in-one. Devices like the HoloLens or the Magic Leap one um, and then we see like smart glasses which may or may not have displays on them uh, or audio based um, sort of at different ends of the spectrum and in the middle we see this opportunity where glasses can be tethered to smartphones and you know you can use all the power that you have in the smartphone to drive the user experience and that today is is wired but also last week we announced a new reference design that would make that wireless so um, so we think that the glasses as an accessory to the smartphone and using the innovation that's happening Happening on a yearly basis with a smartphone is really going to help accelerate the pace of innovation in, in head-worn AR. And so our, our uh, objective is to drive both the hardware reference designs so that we can create blueprints that OEMs can use to get to market more rapidly, but also to create the developer tools so that um, we can put spatial computing technology into the hands of every developer you know, we can. And this is both um, you know, developers for head-worn AR, like people who build for, let's say, for HoloLens, it's uh, smartphone AR developers, so people who are building for AR Core, or AR Kit, and it's also um, you know mobile developers, so people who are building just for smartphone today who want to add maybe a little bit of AR applica- to their application. So why don't you um, 
give our listeners and our mm-hmm. watchers, if you're mm-hmm. listening to this on the podcast, yeah. or watching it on, on uh, no, one of the video platforms, um, a sense of how ubiquitous the Qualcomm chipset is in these AR devices, because yeah. you just kind of glossed over it in the process of like talking about all the different developments. Sure. But I think it's really interesting to know how many devices you are in that are really the core of how people yeah. are using wearable AR today in its yeah. earliest stages of, of building and development. That's right, yeah. So, um, so we've been working in the AR space, like going back to 2007, so 15 years, and it, we started in smartphone AR. So um, you may remember like Euphoria, that, yes, pro- that project well. yeah. started at Qualcomm. And, um, and so we've been, uh, you know, we, we've been ex- experimenting with head-worn AR around 2013, 2012, 13, and really the, I think the hardware wasn't there yet to be able to enable the kinds of experiences that we knew we wanted. I mean, we were barely getting there on the smartphone at the time. Um, let alone the, uh, the the headworn form factor, and so I think you know we're now um, we're now at a point where we're seeing uh, a spectrum of devices. We see a, what we call assisted reality devices, like let's say Vuzix or Epson or Realware. These are um, you know mono uh, chromatic or mono displays. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and and then we see um, so that's on one end of the spectrum, and then we also see devices like you know the Hololens or the the, the Magic Leap one and two, and um, you know Qualcomm plays a role, in, a big role in the ecosystem in terms of enabling that hardware. We're ninety percent of devices. It's yeah. It's so we're on over fifty devices, um, and and so that's across VR and and AR. Obviously, uh, we do. We power the Quest two, for example. Also the um, the Hololens two is another uh, device. Touch Microsoft. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, the the uh, the snap spectacles are also using uh, using Qualcomm. So um, Google Glass also. Yeah. 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 So it's it's um it's exciting times because there's just a lot of innovation happening in the hardware space, and you know the industry is now I think starting to converge around um, the right technologies to, and also advancements in AI and computer vision and, um, you know, just other spaces are, are, are converging to where I think we're going to be able to start to get the kinds of form factors we want to see, um, you know, in terms of size and um, and just ergonomics, uh, display quality, you know, just processing capability, field of view on the displays, all these kinds of things are coming together so that we think that the next, you know, year to two years is going to be really exciting in terms of the kinds of experiences we'll see, um, the developers will be able to create on this hardware. Well, and, you know, as we look to the future, I mean, you have the Lenovo partnership now, the Motorola partnership now, which is a tethered connected yes. device, yeah. but the thing that you gave me a little bit of an early warning yeah. on is that the wireless stuff is coming, right. and just a few weeks ago, I made the public announcement, we mm-hmm. showed an even sexier, lighter, more nimble device that no yeah. longer has to have a physical connection right. to the phone as its sort of source of power, source yeah. of uh, connectivity. Right. Um, how long, how long is that in the development mm-hmm. curve? Is one one yet? Is it a working device? Yeah, is it a theoretical yeah. build device. Where, where is it? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, I've worn them, and I've I've actually seen um, experiences running on them. Uh, we don't quite. We're not ready to talk about spaces on them yet, but I can say that's coming. <laughs> um, but the. Uh, yeah, so the, the 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 key unlock here is to remove the cable. Um, I think that you know the cable is kind of ever present, maybe tugging at you a little bit, maybe breaks the immersion. Yeah, that's right. And then also, I mean, I've seen things like where just the hardware gets the the cable gets uh, cable, uh, twined up, it gets turned up. So you know you have to unwind it and that sort of thing if it's being used quite frequently. So you just, I mean, obviously we want to remove the cable. And so um, what's really 
interesting is Qualcomm's you know DNA is in wireless technology, and you know if you go back to Qualcomm's history, it's, we started as a wireless company, and so we have. Um, major, massive investments in, in, in Wi-Fi technology and cellular technology. We have really the world's leading RF experts, and um, and so we've been able to you know optimize that AirLink to enable you know the glasses and the smartphone to work in tandem, where the applications actually run on the smartphone, and some of the perception technology, the tracking technology, run on the glasses, and so we have to you know take that perception technology and move it to the smartphone. Do, do the rendering exactly that's right yeah so from the time that that the user's head or hands move to the time that a frame gets rendered to the to encoding and then sent back wirelessly to the device that whole you know round trip latency needs to be super low in order to not you know have a poor experience and so you know, we think we've achieved, you know, an experience that's indiscernible from, you know, cable. You, you can't tell that it's, it, it's, it doesn't have a cable in terms of the latency. So, um, and so that's something that I think Qualcomm's uniquely positioned to do is enable that wireless. And then also we're, you know, enabling wireless in the smartphones as well. So I think we, we can help, you know, make those glasses and the, the smartphone work better together. Yeah, you build a lot of this core technology that uh, right. allows it to happen, so you might as well yeah. start to sort of seed it out into the world. That's right. Last couple questions before we wrap up this yeah. speed round. Um, what's your prediction on when we get to real consumer traction around mixed reality, wearable mixed reality, okay. and all that? What's your sort of sense, or Qualcomm sense, right. of how long will it take sitting here in the summer of 2022 yeah. until a lot of people have these that are using them on a daily basis? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think one thing on like kind of terminology. Um, so when we talk about mixed reality, we're talking about a VR device with uh, pass-through cameras, where the you know the, you can pass the real world through, and you can then you do augmented reality experience that's like the, using the a VR headset. headset from Meta that's coming and some that's exactly, yeah. So the ability to do AR experience in yeah, it's a video pass-through similar to a smartphone AR, where it's passed through to the you know display on the smartphone. So um, so like I, I'm really excited about that because that's going to allow you know. People to begin experimenting with um, mixed reality or augmented reality in a VR form factor. Um, so but when you talk augmented, you consider that a pass-through device. You consider yeah. that something that you're still actually physically seeing the real world. If that would, that's an optical see-through device. So, like the Lenovo A3, that's we would consider that an augmented reality glass. Whereas, if something was using like a like a Vario device running video pass-through, um, that is that's more of a mixed reality. That's a mixed reality device. Yeah. So I think we'll see mixed reality. It differently because I think Magic Leap refers to mixed reality as a it, yeah. So it's it is a, yeah. It's not a, Space. It's not. No, it's not, and that creates a little bit of confusion. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I think we we see. Um, you know, obviously uh, the optical see through, like the A3 or Nreal Light. You've seen these the devices. They're also tethered to the smartphone. Those are available today, so you can go buy them uh, today. And, and 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 they're just not shipping in in massive volumes, right? They're being used for. Uh, enterprise use cases, like in the case of the A3, or they're being used in, in real cases, you know, for um, uh, for consumer. But the you know the, the the install base is not you know massive today. Um, in in terms of timing, I think you know 2023 is going to be a really important year for both mixed reality because I think you know there's there's a lot of VR. Um, headsets that are in the pipeline that want to support this type of a use case, and and so I think that that um, 
you know, the idea of being able to take uh, build AR applications on a VR headset is going to help content innovation for the optical see-through devices. And so I think there's, um, you know, there's going to be ecosystem building that's going to happen in 2023 around that. But and then in terms of the um, in terms of optical see-through, like the evolution of what we're doing with the with the wireless viewer, um, I think that starts in 2023 as well, and then you know starts to ramp in 2024. So I think. So you think by 2025 we'll have a more robust ecosystem of these devices that are, yeah. that are not just touching enterprise. And I think twenty. I think twenty twenty four is when yeah. we'll start to, so to see that. Yeah, just a couple years. Yeah, yeah. We'll so it's uh, yeah, it's uh, it's what we're built to do. Qualcomm is built to enable the ecosystem. We're we're there. That's why we build these reference designs to kind of get get the market moving and um, you know accelerate the pace of innovation. And so it's about the devices and hardware. But we know that if we don't have content. Um, you know that's going to be a, a that's going to be a struggle to uh, to get the you know flywheel moving with consumers. So that's part of what we're doing now in 2022 with Snapdragon Spaces. So why don't we wrap up with that? That'll be our yeah. final question. Give give the, the listeners here um, a sense of, of what you're doing to build up the ecosystem yeah. using Spaces as, yeah. as the tool to do. For sure, yeah. So with uh, with Spaces, so encourage everyone to go take a look at spaces.qualcom.com. Um, you can register, download the, the SDKs for Unity or Unreal Engine uh, there. We also have a program called Pathfinder that we launched. Um, we just announced the first 23 projects that we funded. So we had applications open in November. We had hundreds of applications that came in. We funded 23 pro- the first cohort of 23 projects. And so please, you know, your listeners go and take a look at that Pathfinder program. Maybe apply for that. That provides access to uh, to resources like hardware dev kits and some project funding and that sort of thing. And then Qualcomm also announced what we call the Snapdragon Metaverse Fund, which that has two pieces. One piece is venture investment, where we're uh, led, led by Qualcomm's ventures team, along with the XR business unit. We're out there looking for companies to invest in uh, in the XR space, and then also content investment. So how do we bring um, bring you know dollars? Into larger projects to bring more content to uh, to us. So those are two things that we've um, that we've announced recently that are part of Spaces, and I think it would be great for you know listeners to go take a look at those. Both of them on our website. How how do people find you and your team? Yeah, yeah. Um, so you can find us. Uh, you can reach out to us at spaces.qualcom.com. You can also uh, find me on Twitter or on LinkedIn. So Brian, we'll say. Thanks, Brian. All right. Thank you. Take care.